Navigating the Datascape with Chris Presley and special guests. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 9 of the Datascape podcast. I'm your host, Chris Presley, and today we're going to talk about the Oracle database. With the hype around cloud and cloud-first initiatives, automation, DevOps, and very specialized cloud-based databases, I wondered what was going on with one of the Datascape's old faithful technologies, Oracle Database. So I decided to invite a Oracle consultant and expert to the show. He's very much immersed in the community to tell us what he's seeing with his feet on the ground. Please join me in welcoming Simon Payne. Hey, Simon, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. Very nice to be here. So why don't you help the audience get to know you? What's what's your background? Okay. My background is that I've been working in the Oracle DBA space and really as a consultant for almost my entire career. I started it very, very, very early on in my career. I was thrown into Oracle back when I could barely even spell it. Learned really on Oracle 7. In Oracle 7.3.4 was a great release and that kind of generation. And I've been working with the product ever since. Really focused mostly around the core database technology. So when I say Oracle, I'm really referring to the Oracle database, not any of their other surrounding products. Got it. And I understand you are a recent inductee to the IOUG board of directors. Is that Yeah, that's right. I'm very involved in the community, or at least I try to be as involved as I can doing public speaking at various conferences around North America and even in Europe. Also, like you just mentioned recently, I was inducted or have the privilege of becoming an IOEG board member. IOEG is the Independent Oracle User Group, which is one of the main Oracle user groups. It's a great group to be part of. They host the Collaborate Conference, or they're part of the Collaborate Conference, which happens every spring in April, usually, which is one of my favorite conferences to attend every year. So I'm really excited about that and what the future may bring in that capacity. Great. Great. Congratulations. Thank so you. So let's, let's dive right into it. What types of organizations or businesses are using the Oracle database? Well... I think realistically, still most companies use the Oracle database to some degree. Maybe they they use it quite a lot and they really consider it their primary platform. Maybe it's a secondary platform and it was just some particular app that they purchased over time that required an Oracle database backend. But really, if you look at it, there's a lot of Oracle still out there. It's been a leading database product for many decades now. And over that time, most companies that were established, I say, I would say recent startups might be an exception, but most companies that were established 10 to 20 years ago are still using the Oracle or have been using the Oracle database all along and probably still are today. Okay. Do you have any idea of the size of the of the company? Like, are there a lot of 20-person companies using Oracle, or is it your big finance? Could you help us understand that, that part. Yeah, I think Oracle is really directed more these days towards the larger enterprise. So I think the reason being is that there's a lot of competition for people who have very simple, smaller database needs these days. That may not have been the case 20 years ago, but I think that's the case these days. So people who are using it nowadays maybe have are probably larger companies, not your small 20 person mom and pops type shop or not your little startup, you know, six guys working in a garage or a basement kind of thing. It's usually probably larger enterprises that have very demanding database needs. Okay. And do you think that there are barriers of adoption for startups to use the Oracle database? Yeah. Yeah. I think there definitely is. (laughs) There's a lot of barriers of adoption for the Oracle database. And, you know, it is a great, great product. Okay. It's technically really great, but it does come with costs and those costs are both the fiscal and, and non-fiscal. So it's a commercial software. Obviously it's not an open source. It's not a public domain product. It is a commercial product still. There is a free version called XE, which was introduced to about, I'd guess about a decade ago to compete with SQL Server when Microsoft added the SQL Server XE free edition. And it's, it's quite limited, but the cost is a barrier to adoption. And even if it wasn't the cost, it's still quite a complex product. It's a complex engine. It's complex to install. It's complex to maintain and it's complex to tune or okay. operate. Okay. So what about, the, there are some kind of managed offerings or light offerings like RDS. 
are you seeing any and it would seem that that's kind of aimed at at the cost barrier and possibly the complexity barrier are you seeing much adoption of that technology yeah, we are. We're seeing quite a few people using RDS looking to lower their costs. That does help to some degree, I think. Like it probably helps on the licensing cost and the hardware cost and things like that. However, you know, we do see RDS issues where people are starting to overuse the power and they need tuning help, right? And RDS isn't going to help you with that. You still need to know somebody who understands how the Oracle database works to be able to help tune SQL statements and understand, you know, what am I doing wrong? Why is this type of read the wrong type of read versus a different type of read? Or should an index mm -hmm. be used here? Is it helpful? Or have I just modeled my application wrong? So it might be, am I, even if you're using RDS, it might be a matter of maybe you've got some parameters wrong through the RDS configuration, which does give you some control over Oracle database initialization parameters, or maybe you're modeling your application wrong, or maybe you're just querying your data wrong. So it, it helps to some degree. Okay. That's cool. Talk about the size of the implementations you often work on. Like, is there like an average number of cores or size of databases that's typical that you're touching these days? Yeah, I would say really four to eight cores is the typical, right? That's the average I mentioned a few minutes ago, there is an XE version, which is designed for one processor or one core. I, I can't remember exactly which, but I don't really see those deployed very often, right? XE is limited on size in both storage and, and number of cores. Standard edition is another version of Oracle, which is limited by the number of cores as well. But mostly we still use, we see customers that are using enterprise edition. I would say four to eight cores is about the average. And usually in the hundreds of gigabytes of data is the average. I kind of think that when you cross the boundary of one terabyte of data is when you're starting to move into the large database for Oracle deployments in these these days. I cannot see a use case for Oracle XE anymore with like the only one, like if you can go with something that small, you should go to RDS or some sort of cloud managed solution, maybe even the Oracle cloud, which I know very little about. But like the only thing I can think of is you have to use Oracle, you're in a disconnected retail store or location, and like that's it. Like I just I can't see a use case. Yeah, well people sometimes use it for training too, right? And and again, okay, it doesn't enough. it doesn't have all of the functionality that you want to train on. But if you want to train on the basics, it's a good way you could deploy a little a little test lab system for training or if you're teaching students the basics of Oracle, it's a good way of avoiding licensing costs. But you know, really remember the Oracle database is commercial software and part of commercial software is support and having a vendor who's supporting you. And with right. XE, you don't get that. So if you're, you're correct, I'm kind of agreeing with you and maybe coming at it from a different angle, but I'm agreeing with your principle here, which is that if you really need to use Oracle, you need to use a proper version. You probably need support and you can save your costs by either using standard edition or AWS RDS, like you said. Yeah, no, I, I think you just hit a great use case and not where, you know, maybe I'm a student and I really just want to learn to query. And so, you know, you, maybe you're running Linux and you're on a budget and you, you know, maybe install XE. I, I, okay. I, yeah. I, there is a few use cases. Yeah. Now there's a couple of catches. First of all, I had to check that XE was still out there because I haven't seen it used <laughs> in so many years. And it is the older version. So the current version of Oracle is Oracle 12C. And actually now we're seeing the adoption of Oracle 12C release too. I believe currently XE is only supported up to 11G R2, which was the previous major release. So it's older. So it has a very limited use and I don't see it used very often at all. Okay. Okay. And that's a great segue. What is the current version of Oracle? So like I said, it's 12C release 2, or it goes by 12.2. And 12.2 was the first one Oracle released with a cloud-first strategy. So they actually released it to their cloud-based offerings first. And then recently, in the last few months, it's just been released for download officially for on-premises use. And hence... We're now at that point where I think customers who are wanting to upgrade from 11G, and there's still a lot of 11G out there. By Don't fool yourself to think that there's not a lot of older versions of Oracle running out there. But customers who are ready to make the jump from 11 to 12, 
I think now is the time where we're starting to see them consider, let's just skip over 12.1 and go straight to 12.2. And I can tell you the number of differences between 12.1 and 12.2 is is massive. I think it's over 500 new features. So for a DBA, just to get their heads around the differences going from 12.1 to 12.2, it's a lot of work. I think 12.2 is is addition we've all been waiting for. It's got tons and tons of great features. So hopefully people are excited about it and are thinking about going to it soon. Well, Simon, as a fellow geek, you can't throw something out there like that and not have me jump on that. So let's go into the features. Let's just start with one. What is the killer feature for you? What is what is a feature that you're very excited about? Oh, gosh. That is hard to nail down. I'm not going to answer that with just one. I'm going to say there's a, bu- a few. I'm going to try and say a few. There's some key things like within the new container database architecture that they released with 12C, what they call pluggable databases. And that's a little bit more similar to how Microsoft SQL Server or even MySQL databases work, if anybody's listening and they're familiar with those technologies and not Oracle. So there's some killer new features around how you can group those databases together to make an application that's comprised not just of one pluggable database, but of many, and you can manage them as a whole, or that you can do things like hot online migrations with very minimal downtime. So say say one of those pluggable databases was quite large, many hundreds of gigs, and you wanted to move it from one patch level to another patch level or from one machine to another machine, you can do that quite easily with very minimal downtime. So I, I think there's lots of cool stuff around there. There's also some edge case cool things like sharding is built into the database technology now or in the past and with other application, sorry, other backend products, you had to shard using application level sharding and now it's built right into the database. But the rest escapes my mind right now, but there's hundreds of cool new things with 12.2. Okay, great. That, that sounds really exciting. So most of the user base, are they on 11G or are they on... 10 or 9i or like where are the where are the bulk of the customers these days yeah i would say and this is very unofficial this is just based on my gut feeling is the majority is still on 11 and they're on a good stable version of 11 11 to which is the terminal major release of 11 and and actually most of them are a, a pretty good patch set even below that so i still think the lion's share of oracle deployments there are on this 11 gr2 or 11.2 but there are people who have jumped up to 12, and it is a significant jump. There's lots of changes to the optimizer, so performance is always something you got to be very careful and cognizant of. So I'd say probably a small group has jumped up to 12, or maybe larger than a small group, a sizable chunk. But there's also ones that are in those older versions. Like even this morning in a chat dialogue, we were talking about a customer who's still running 7.3.4. So there are those people <laughs> who are still running 7.3.4, which is vintage mid-90s and everything in between. So we sometimes get some 10Gs, and I remember some calls about 8i deployments that people just haven't touched in years, and it just sits and runs. All right. I may not agree with that approach, but people <laughs> people have it nonetheless. So is a database version upgrade in the Oracle world difficult? I'm going to say yes, it is. Okay. I'm going to say Oracle's made steps recently to try and make the actual process or process simpler. And they've added tools to try and help you. But there's still a lot of risk when you do a major upgrade with with the Oracle product, right? So, There's So wait just a second. Let's differentiate between risk and difficult. So I do want to talk about risk, but like what's difficult about an Oracle upgrade? Can't I just build my new Oracle 12.2 deployment, back up my 11.2 database and restore it onto the other one? No, no, it's not quite that simple. So <laughs> no. what you're describing there is a SQL Server upgrade, and yeah, it doesn't work quite like that in Oracle. You either need to upgrade it in place, which means you're you're running a bunch of catalog scripts and you're really changing the catalog, or you need to upgrade it out of place, which really means you're going to copy it from one place to another. And exactly how that works is is actually something I find quite interesting because there's there's different ways you can you can accomplish that. You know, if we if we thought about it, there's probably four or five or six different ways to solve that puzzle and how you solve it and how you upgrade, whether it's in place or up, out of place, might really depend on a lot of factors, like how much downtime can you take? Are you also coupling this with a hardware renewal and refreshing hardware at the same time? Or how many things do you want to change? 
but it's it's difficult even if you do it in place because you you still have to take a lot of preparation steps to make sure you're covered you need to make sure you're covered not just from parameters and things that might change but also performance regression and what proactive steps are you taking to capture your performance beforehand so that you have something to search for afterwards should things go wrong okay so with oracle you there's a risk that there's going to be some changes in maybe how indexes are used or how the optimizer handles certain things and you've got to detect those and resolve them by tweaking things that's right so that's the number one risk is that performance changes so as i said the upgrade from 11 to 12 was a huge jump and a lot of optimizer changes and it did result in a lot of unfortunately performance regression and what i mean by performance regression is one query that used to work well in the old system, you'd hope it works better after upgrading to 12, but the opposite is true and it works worse. There's also things you've got to be careful for functional differences. And if I use a really old example, I think it was when we went from 9i to 10g. I don't think it was 10g to 11g, but there used to be things like if I did a select distinct, Oracle would sort the data as part of trying to work out the distinct data set. So if you set select distinct states from my customer list, right? It would list them alphabetically. And then part of an optimizer change meant that the distinct no longer did a sort, right? There no longer was an implicit sort. So what happened is users would come in and next day they'd be like, oh, why is my list of states all jumbled up and down? Like why is Oregon first and California last out of the list of 50? They're no longer alphabetical. And that's that's something that that's something different. That's not performance, but that's something functional that's changed where distinct no longer has an implicit sort and hence you have to put an order by at the end. So developers had to catch those or be aware of those kind of things and know to test for those as well. I didn't realize how spoiled I am in SQL Server. <laughs> yes, you're a SQL Server. And I didn't mention this in my history when I gave my introduction, but I have worked as a SQL Server DBA as well, not at the level that you're at, Chris. So I'd, I'd call myself more of an intermediate, but I do know what it's like to upgrade a SQL Server database where you can just back it up on one instance, restore it in another, and you watch it just upgrade the, itself as you do the restore process. It's a lot more complicated than that. Yeah, I mean, which I SQL think Server, is interesting. Well, in SQL Server, I mean, you're you still have to do the pre and post performance tests. There are behaviors that change, but yeah, you, it definitely does sound quite a bit easier. And I would think that while this is great for me as an IT worker, that labor intensive upgrades exist and that they're eventually forced by licensing costs and potentially other things. I have to say, like, if I if I were a business and an executive and I'm looking at, okay, I need to upgrade my Oracle database or my costs go way up or I become unsupported and it's going to cost me, I you know, I look and it's going to cost me this much to go to the latest and greatest and I, you know, maybe I love Oracle. At the same time, if I then say, but you know what, it's the same amount to move to this other, any other platform or some other similar platform, you know, that can't be a great strategy these days. I mean, before when it was like Oracle DB2 and SQL Server and maybe Sybase, that could work. But now I see that as a potentially very dangerous business strategy. Yeah. And you're you're opening a bigger can of worms there, I think. You're talking about the topic of moving off of Oracle. So, okay. There's a couple things that come to mind based on what you just said there. So first of all, like I said, it, it is complicated to upgrade Oracle, but it's getting better, right? And they are making the tools more efficient. They're making the tools faster. They're making the tools easier to use. So they are making the process better. I think it's also important to understand that the process of moving off of Oracle isn't the same as upgrading Oracle. It's not twice as hard. It's significantly orders of magnitude more difficult probably to move off of Oracle completely. And with those other products, you're still probably going to have some complications with upgrades as you go down the road, right? So no product is going to be self-updating in the relational database space right now, unless you go with a cloud-based service, right? Like when we use software as a service, even if it's something like Gmail, Google, G Suite or something, we don't see that upgrade. That is completely transparent to us. But the relational databases are not there yet, at least when you run them on-premises. You can have depending on how much work you want to do, you can minimize the downtime and the effects of upgrading, but really it's still quite complicated. Right, right. And I, I think that Oracle has to 
make it easier to upgrade and, and stay current because when I look at some of the cloud services that are coming, Amazon has had a migration service for a while. Microsoft recently announced a better migration service. That, I mean, they're knocking at Oracle's door, so they, you know, and they have to figure out how to keep their customers. And that could be through killer features and great software. Yeah, and you're right, but you know, I don't want to get too bogged down with how complicated it is to upgrade Oracle mm-hmm. because it's not that complicated. It definitely is a doable DBA task. And we need to put it into perspective, okay? And when you put it into perspective, moving to a completely different platform, whether that's in the cloud or another platform like SQL Server or MySQL on-premises is, I would say, many orders of magnitude more complicated. I mean, I've heard that before. What's so complicated with a platform migration? Well, that's that's the million-dollar question, right? There are a lot of technical complexities with a platform migration. So if you do want to get off of Oracle, the first step is really to understand how invested you are in Oracle and how much you're using it, right? So sometimes there's quick wins. If you're using a a small packaged application and that application supports multiple backends, right? Which a lot of them do. And you chose Oracle when you initially purchased that application, but now you're changing your mind on that decision. Well, then maybe it isn't too hard to leave Oracle, right? Because the vendor is going to have some script or some process to move your data across. And you know already that their application is going to work with it. That's really the best case scenario. If it's a much larger commercial application, maybe it doesn't support a different backend. So now you're really looking at maybe it's an in-house developed or your own proprietary application, in which case you got to really understand how are you using that database. The Oracle database, like I said earlier, is technically amazing. There's tons of features and functionality in there. And the question is really, are you really leveraging those awesome features? And if you're just using it for a place to store tables and a couple indexes, then maybe it's it's still going to be pretty easy for you, right? But if you're using more advanced stuff, especially if you're programming using Oracle's PL SQL, which is their their programming language, and you have a large code investment, then that's going to be really, really hard to rewrite in to any other platform. And I, I know there are a number of different tools. Microsoft even has a tool to help people move to SQL Server that tries to translate code for you, but they only get you so far. There's no magic you know, meat grinder, so to speak, where you can put in Oracle code in one end and you're gonna get perfect code on a different platform out at a different end. So if you're really invested in PL SQL, that's gonna make migrating off of Oracle tremendously difficult and expensive. Okay, that's a, a good glimpse into into the challenges. This is something I get asked often is, you know, why can't I just move to this other thing? You know? You know, I'd like to add to that. Sometimes people get frustrated with Oracle for whatever reason and we hear these kind of emotional decisions where people say, that's it. You know, I'm not happy with how much Oracle's costing me or or how this something happened. Let's get off of Oracle, right? And they, or maybe it's just the licensing cost, right? Maybe the cost of licensing is high. I don't think people really appreciate the effort required can be measured not just in the hundreds of hours, but in the thousands of hours or the tens of thousands of person hours. So when you explain, you know, sure, we can move to something that's open source and has no licensing costs, but we're going to have to invest 20,000 hours of, of people hours to do it, that may make somebody reevaluate, right? And also, How's our business going to have to change? Maybe we're using some great feature of the Oracle database that we're not going to get in this other platform. And now we're not only going to have to invest a lot of time to get us off of it, but we're also going to have to change how we operate to work around some feature or functionality that we're losing. And that's another great segue. I was kind of wondering for you, what are one or three couple of the killer features that Oracle brings to the market? Okay. Well, I think Oracle's killer features, there's a lot of features and functionalities. I would say number one is got to be its performance and scalability, right? And what we haven't talked about yet is, you know, we mentioned that Oracle database is, is a software product, but they also sell hardware since their Sun acquisition, which they call engineered systems. And there's a variety of different engineered systems even just for running the Oracle database. And people might have heard of the Oracle database appliance or an ODA or an Exadata, which is their larger, more complicated machine. 
So the Oracle database is very, very scalable. If you apply their proprietary hardware, these Exadata machines, and then you start to include their clustering technology, which is called real application clusters or rack, as we call it, you really have tremendous ability to scale out and scale up both at the same time to make some pretty powerful database, relational database systems, right? The key here is these are all relational database systems. I'm not trying to compete with non-relational systems like Hadoop and stuff like that, which can be very distributed and have many thousands of nodes. More talking about competing with the likes of other relational vendors. So it's, it's very powerful, very scalable. Let's see other killer features. It, there's a lot around security that you can do and things like that. And again, I, I'm going back, even though I'm not a developer, I think the PL SQL programming language is amazingly powerful. So I'm not a developer, but let me tell you one thing like I really love about that is I can store multiple versions of my code in the same package. So let me explain that. I didn't describe it very well. As a DBA, I might write a package block of code that does something. If I want to get that block of code to work on 10G, 11G, and 12C, there may be differences in the catalog between those, right? Like the queries might need to change. I can write the code once and I can say it's called conditional compilation. It means if it's a 10G database, compile it this way. If it's an 11G database, compile it that way. If it's 12C, compile it a third different way. And it means that I only have one body of code. I'm not maintaining three different versions of my script. So PL SQL shouldn't be underestimated either. Okay, let's go back to the Exadata and the ODA that you mentioned. Are customers buying large database appliances? Because I've seen competitors flop when they did this. Yeah, we are seeing those still being sold. I've worked in the last six months on new ODA and Exadata deployments. Now, the truth is, is that these are going to be for, especially Exadata, are going to be for larger customers who have deep pockets and really need this quality of hardware, right? So so, so can the, before we go mm -hmm. in that, can the cloud deliver this level of performance? Oracle's cloud can. So Oracle has their own cloud. People may not be aware that they do neither because they're not really mentioned in the big three. When people mm -hmm. talk about the major cloud providers, Oracle wants to change that and become a major cloud destination. And one of the ways that they're distinguishing themselves in the cloud space is by offering their unique proprietary hardware like the Exadata as a cloud okay. service. Okay, and I do wanna talk about the Oracle Cloud, but not for a minute. Some of the Oracle appliances have typically confused me. Could you explain what an ODA and what an Exadata appliances are and what the difference is between the two? Okay, well, an ODA, as I said, stands for Database Appliance. And basically, it's if you could think of it simply as two servers designed to run Rack or Oracle's cluster and some storage all in a box. Okay, so it's designed for easy provisioning of a Rack database platform. You can actually virtualize it as well, and you can run other virtual images in there, including application servers, if you like. But at the very simplest level, think of it as, you know, you want to have a a mid-grade, this is kind of a departmental, mid-tier type performance server that's going to run Oracle Rack and use Oracle storage software. Remember, they're controlling storage and everything and have it deployed very easily. It provides a lot of automation and scripts for creating databases and things like that to make it much easier to manage and for you to get started with Oracle very quickly. Now, an Exadata is a much larger different piece of hardware. It's really designed to be a, a very robust computing environment all in one frame. So really one rack, and this time I'm spelling rack, R-A-C-K, like one physical rack that you would put in your server room. It's going to have storage, it's going to have compute power, and it's going to have networking that's all really designed to work very well together and really provide a very powerful database environment that you can scale up and scale out at the same time. I should point out though, you know, I was at a session where somebody described the Exadata as commodity parts all just strung together and sold together. And you know what, if you want to look at the the actual CPU chips and the, you know, the the screws that are holding it together and the memory chips that are in there, those are commodity, sure. But the way the hardware and the software is engineered is you cannot build an Exadata on your own. You can't go to other vendors and get similar spec computers and storage devices. 
Oracle has secret software that ties this all together, including in the database engine. So actually, even if you run Oracle on-premises on a non-engineered system and you're running Oracle database software, it's got code path in there that's optimized for Exadata that's just not being used on-premise. So there's a lot of secret sauce in the Exadata. Okay, well, that makes sense. So just recapping, it's larger customers that are running the Exadatas. They're fairly wealthy. They have probably hit a lot of transactions per second and a lot of volume that they need to fill. Yeah, that's right. It's going to be for the larger customers. I mean, if you're midsize, maybe the Oracle database appliance. And if you're small to midsize, then you're probably going to run it on-premises. And if you're really small, maybe Oracle's not going to be the fit for you because it is expensive both in terms of licensing and support and having the people who can operate it and support it. Okay, that makes sense. Let's shift over to the Oracle Cloud. What is the state of the Oracle Cloud? Well, I think the state of the Oracle Cloud is it's there. It's real. People will call it a vaporware or something like that, or people will call it a proof of concept. And I don't think it's that anymore. It's been around for a few years now, but it is playing catch up. Like Amazon Cloud has been around for 10 years. I think it was 2006 or seven that we got S3 and we got EC2 and things like that. So I would say the cloud is there. It's real. It's not often considered one of the big three, but Oracle is working very hard to become a major player in this space. And I kind of touched on this earlier. They do try to differentiate themselves in the cloud. So even if we just talk about their offerings around how you can run the database in the cloud, it's not the same as Amazon where you have the choice of RDS or you have the choice of EC2 and then you'll spin up your own instances. They're giving more options. They're giving a database as a service option that's different than RDS. They're giving bare metal options or virtualized options. And like we touched on earlier, they're giving the option of running Exadata in the cloud. Okay. I should mention, you know, the other cloud providers that Oracle supports, which is AWS and Azure, you can't run Oracle Rack officially in them. There are some workarounds where you can get it to work, but Rack, which again is the clustered Oracle database to allow you to scale out, Rack requires shared storage and multicast networking, and it's not supported officially in anything but Oracle's cloud. Okay. Yeah, I mean, they're only playing catch-up if they're trying to do the same thing. And I, I think it's actually pretty intelligent to not try and just imitate your competitor who's ahead of you. How are you ever going to beat them? <laughs> that yeah, that's right. So they, they do have different offerings and their offering is even more differing in the fact that they're really taking the, they're saying, well, you know, if you want to use Aurora or Redshift on AWS, for example, that's the only place you can run it is in AWS. So I know Amazon will say that with Oracle, you're getting lock-in. So I'm going to use that lock-in word and Oracle positions it as you're getting lock-in with those technologies on Amazon's cloud. Oracle is saying that they're the more flexible cloud because you can run the workload on-premises or in their cloud in exactly the same way on the exact same hardware. So if it's Rack, if it's Exadata, you have those options. They even have another option, which I think is called Cloud at Customer, which is they will put the Exadata in your, or whatever hardware, in your data center, and they'll still operate it as part of the Oracle cloud. But the actual machine isn't at an Oracle data center. It's in your data center. And you might want to do that for data sovereignty reasons or, or whatnot. It sounds like a fancy managed service option. Yeah, you could spin it that way if you'd like. Oracle spinning it the direction of its flexibility. But you're right. They're playing massive catch-up. They're an awfully big company, and, and there's a lot of mudslinging going on between the companies in the space as to who's, who's the greatest and who's going to be the leader. And yeah. they're right in there with the rest of them. Oracle is supported as a fully first-class citizen on a couple of the cloud platforms, but it's not on GCP yet. Do you think that's coming? Do you think they will be? That's an excellent topic, right? It's, and I think about this all the time. I think it is coming. Other people will disagree with me, and I'm just giving you my gut feel. And, and here's why I think it is. Previously, GCP didn't have the right infrastructure, the right the, the ability to build the right image Linux image machines to host an Oracle database. That may be why they weren't included in the past. Who knows? They do now. So technically, we should be able to run the Oracle database in the cloud. But currently, that is not supported at all. Now, Oracle's got a decision to make, right? Because there's customers who are saying, you know what? I love GCP. I'm going to move my entire IT environment into GCP. And they might have a little bit of Oracle in there. And now they're going to be 
at that decision point where they're going to be saying, ah, I want to go to a complete cloud solution. Do I go 90% into GCP and 10% into the Oracle cloud and just have Oracle dangle out there by itself? Or are they going to say, that's it. I'm really going to pay the price. I'm going to sever all my relationship with Oracle and I'm going to get an alternative product that works with GCP. If they're able to do that, like we discussed earlier, that might be technically complex and that might be costly. But still, that's a risk that Oracle takes is that they sever their relationship with Oracle and they go to GCP. And for that reason, I think they probably will support GCP. Oracle's hoping that there's a third option, of course, which is the customer says, oh, well, well, if I can't go 100% in GCP, rather than going 90-10, maybe I'll look at the Oracle cloud and I'll go all into the Oracle cloud. Realistically, I, I doubt that's the case, but that's obviously what Oracle's hoping is that third option. Yeah. And I mean, I think all of the cloud providers are sitting there thinking, yeah, I hope really it's my intention and plan to have all the customer use my platform fully. But I don't think Based on what I'm seeing, I think that unless you're a small customer, it's not going to happen. The trend is leveraging multiple clouds, insulating yourself from outages, taking the best features from the best from the clouds. I, I, that's just my personal opinion. So it's, it's really anybody's guess if they're going to support GCP. I'm, I'm guessing that they probably will because the GCP has come out of nowhere and become such a huge predominant presence in that space that they're yeah. right up there now. And how could Oracle shut the door on it? Yeah, I, I would tend to agree with that. So the Oracle database is a product. Dying, strong as ever, growing like crazy. Well, I think different people are going to have different answers to that. There's a lot of bad press that people are saying it's dying and it's it's going away. I don't think that's the case at all. I think it's just got to find its right fit in the market. Okay. So, you know, people get upset about different reasons and, and it's easy to write a blog article or to be one of these anti-Oracle news organizations that publish anti-Oracle articles saying it's dead. It's not dead. I mean, it is commercial software. It's not the cheapest commercial software, but I still think there's a place for commercial software. So like, let's look at Microsoft Excel as an analogy and see how many parallels there are. Okay. People, you know, Excel used to dominate the spreadsheet market for a long time. And now there's a lot of alternatives and cheaper alternatives. You can use Google Sheets. You could use OpenOffice or LibreOffice, which are open source equivalents. But a lot of corporations, people still use Microsoft Excel. They may not use it on every single desktop like they did in the past, but there's still a need for those demanding spreadsheets. And companies pay whatever they pay for Excel and Microsoft Office. And I think Office probably has found that sweet spot of where they sit in and where they're still getting revenue. And I think I think that parallel kind of holds in many regards for Oracle and it's doing the same thing. It's not going to be the product of choice for those small startups who just want to have a simple and cost effective or no charge relational database engine. It's going to more appeal to the corporate enterprises who really need either the functionality that the Oracle database brings that the others don't, or they need the support that it brings. So it'll find its segment in the market, and I think it's going to be here for the long haul, or quite a long time. It's not going to be like Blockbuster Video, which is gone virtually overnight with a disruptive technology. It might might diminish its its overall reach as people do find alternatives over time, but I think it's it's still got some legs left in it. Okay, cool. Let's pivot a little bit. You talked about the people writing the blogs and stuff, and I've always been fairly impressed with the Oracle community, the way that it is, the fact that it is, and the number of people in there. What's the Oracle community looking like these days as a as a member? Is it popular or is it strong? Well, I think there's two parts of community. There's people who, how would you describe it? Who are the advocates, who are the evangelists, who are helping write the blog articles, who are making presentations, who are tweeting about it. So if we call those, you know, help me define a good word for those group A, you know, the people who are who are writing it. And then there's the other group, which are the people who consume it, right? The people who want to go and they read the blog articles and learn about it. I think the first group is as strong as ever, or if not stronger than ever. I've also been part of a number of conference committees where I look at abstracts and I rate abstracts for speakers. And there are a lot of different Oracle conferences. I think that sets it apart. But 
out of all of those Oracle conferences, there's no shortage of people who are wanting to speak, wanting to present, wanting to share ideas, be on a panel, be on a round table, whatnot. And they're all doing this free of charge, right? They're doing this because they're excited about the product and they want to promote it and help other users. So there's tons in that area. There's tons of tweets I read where people are like tweeting about, hey, here's a tip and here's a link to a blog article. And I make a list that's as long as my arm of things to follow up on and I can never catch up on it. So there's a lot of promotion where I think there's more of a challenge is getting the users to be excited and to consume that stuff, right? And it may not even be from the user's perspective. What I'm thinking is it may be higher up. Like let's give a scenario that maybe there's been a bad taste in the mouth of a CIO or something about Oracle for whatever reason. Maybe it's because of the cost or licensing, or or maybe it's one of these negative articles they've read. And they're saying, I don't want to invest more in Oracle. I realize I can't get off it, but I don't want to invest further in it. And, and that includes sending my technical people on training or to a conference or something like that. So the community is still strong. And I hope we can grow it since I'm involved in the community. I hope we can generate excitement again at all levels, right up to sea level. What does the demographic look like? Do you see a lot of young people? No, that's a big problem, I think. And, you know, I worked at a client site maybe 15 years ago. And when I went in there, I said to the other DBAs, and there was about 10 or 12 or something like that. I said, look at where I am on the bell curve of age of all the DBAs in this group, in this market, in the geography that we were in. And I was at a certain low point on the bell curve. I was young at the time. And I came back to that same client many years later, like five, seven or eight years later. And I said to the same group of people who were still the same group of people there, look at where I am on the bell curve. I'm exactly the same place. So it's an aging community in a lot of respects. I think that there's not as much excitement from the young people because there's a lot of other options that those young technologists who are just starting their careers have these days. There are all a lot of options in relational space as well as in the non-relational space. Right. And I think, you know, in some cases, it's the fault of us as IT technologists for not influencing the academic institutions to create database administration programs. You can take computer science, you can take networking specialized courses, but there are very few, I'm sure some exist, and I'm sure I'll get some hate mail about this, but I don't see many, like, here's how to be a DBA when you get out of this institution. Like there are certifications, but they don't, that's not going to give you the practical experience. You're still apprenticing in to, to the career. Yeah, they are far and few between. I happen to be an exception to that. So I do work with a local technical institute and they do offer a DBA, two-year DBA training program that does focus heavily on Oracle and helps them help students learn Oracle as well as achieve Oracle certified statuses so that they can try to market themselves to corporations. But I agree with your points. That's the rarity. I don't know many other equivalent programs and students come from overseas to take to participate in this program. Let's include a link to that institution in the show notes, Simon. Oh, sure. I'm sure they'll love that. (laughs) And I've taught students there too. I've taught them both on the Oracle front and as well as on SQL Server back in the day. So yeah, it's a rarity, but it is hard to get the youth excited about database administration. You're right. And even now to database administration, how to focus on Oracle. Because if you find somebody who's young and working in a startup and they want to work on database administration, I would guess that they're probably going to gravitate to MySQL and they're thinking about that LAMP stack, Linux, and MySQL stuff. Yeah. Well, and there's just a, and I think the career is changing in such a way that You just don't really need a database administrator until you reach a certain number of transaction volume or size or some some combination of those things. Well, I would disagree with that a little bit. You still need to back it up. You still need to make sure your logs don't fill up. And and when the business has things like, oops, I ran the month end with the wrong tax rate or something, can we roll it back or can we undo it? You know, even if their needs are small and simple, they still need an administrator to help them with those kind of things. That's true. I wasn't, I was actually thinking of the RDS, the SQL DB solution. You're absolutely right. Right. And even with RDS, I still think you need an administrator to help them understand those kind of things. Yeah. Yeah. I think you need them. I think it's a hard sell though. And that's where, you know, fractional services come, come in. And, but the one point you made about like rolling back a transaction, that's, that's key. That's, and Yeah. And to be clear, I'm not saying that you need a full-time administrator, but you need some service or some vendor that can provide you with that kind of expertise. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. So you mentioned young people a few times. 
if and when, say, your your children come to you or your neighbor's kid comes to you and says, hey, I know you've been successful in IT. I like your car. You know, what should I do? Would you recommend that they become a database administrator? I actually would. So first of all, my children hate it when I talk to them about computer stuff. It's <laughs> it's deemed as a form of punishment. So, so <laughs> you know, child cruelty is talking about the Oracle database, apparently, or any technology thing. So they just like to use it and consume things, not think about how it actually works. But anyway, I would because I think it's often overlooked. I think, you know what, people who are young these days and going into schools, and I've had this conversation with a couple of young people, they tend to be more focused at what they see in front of them, right? They see a phone and they see the apps that they're tapping on and stuff like that. They don't understand any of the magic that's happening behind the scenes. So when you click on download an app from whatever app store you want, you prefer, where is that app coming from? Who's maintaining that app? Who's protecting that app and your data in the cloud and stuff like that? And it doesn't have to be in the cloud. It may be just from whatever company you're getting the app from or their own data. There's a lot of magic going on behind the scenes. And I think the young people, possibly they're overlooking that. And I think if everybody's looking at the visuals and focusing, if nine people out of 10 go to work and build iPhone apps or something, why don't you be the 10th person who understands the back end stuff? And maybe there's more job opportunities and less competition for you. That would be my theory. Right. I would recommend it too. I mean, the database career has been spectacular to me my whole career. I, I would recommend it as well for the right type of person. And I think it's, it's hard to get excited about features and data and replication and those problems, right? <laughs> it is. It is. It's very true. To, it is. It is very for hard some to people. I, it's yeah. very excited to me. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But we're a breed of our own. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, you know, you can say that about all kinds of different careers out, out there, not just us. Simon, I've really enjoyed talking to you today, and I think we're at time. So I would like, unless there's a point you'd like to make before we do this, I would love to move into the lightning round. Oh, no, I think we could go on for hours here. <laughs> there's so much more <laughs> we could talk about, but I think we covered most of the bases. I think, you know, I enjoy okay. being an Oracle technologist. I enjoy working with it, and I enjoy promoting it and being part of it the community. So personally, I hope none of those things do die. I hope that Oracle is able to find the right place in the market and we continue on and using this tool. Excellent. Great words. So the lightning round is I'm going to ask you a series of kind of rapid fire questions. I'd like you to answer with the first answer that comes to mind. Are you ready? I am ready. All right. Simon, what project are you the most proud of? The project I'm probably the most proud of was a migration project that I did a couple of years ago. The goal was not to change the Oracle version, but simply to move from one computer system and one operating system to another. It was actually from a big Endian traditional Unix to a small Endian Linux system. And there were some challenges due to the size of the database, the amount of outage time that the company could afford to take, as well as they needed to, you know, clean up the data and, and get rid of some old junk as part of that. And I ran into complications with the Oracle tools and I effectively had to write my own PL SQL. I mentioned PL SQL earlier, my own PL SQL utility, which really became like a Oracle migration tool. And I think at the end, it was just fantastic and how we were able to migrate the data, monitor the process, fix and restart any broken component out of what was literally half a million or so different subcomponents that had to be migrated was really cool and neat. Okay, cool. I love those kinds of projects myself. Can you give us a book that has made a significant or the most impact on your career? There's definitely one book which I totally loved, and it was called The Secrets of the Oracle Database. And I bought this, I remember the year, it was 2009, and I think the book was written for Oracle 10G. But I'm a very tips and tricks focused kind of guy where it's like, hey, here's a cool little tip, you know, type this and this will happen. And I'm like, wow, this is awesome. And that book was pretty much a whole book based on that. It had a lot of chapters, like 30 or 40 chapters, but they were very brief. Like some chapters would be one page long kind of thing. It's like, here's a chapter. Here's how you do something. And I was reading it and going, wow, this is cool. This is awesome. I love tips and tricks. And it just made me excited about sharing them. Okay. Standing or sitting desk? I have a desk that I can raise. So I'm sitting now and I sit too often, but I should be raising my desk and standing more. So the answer is both, but not enough standing time, too much sitting time. 
Okay. Laptop or desktop? Well, I would say every type of top. I have la- <laughs> I have a laptop that I is a Windows-based laptop, which is a pseudo desktop in a port replicator, and I never take out because it's big and heavy. And then I use a, a MacBook Pro when I'm on the road and traveling as a light but powerful. So both. Okay. And you just answered the next question, which is Mac or PC. So it's both for you? It's both. And I love them both, actually. I think they both have their attributes and their niceties about them. And actually, what I find is that if I go on the road for a while and I'm only using Mac OS, it's a very nice OS. But when I come back to Windows 10, there's things within Windows 10 that I like as well. We could do a whole different podcast on this, (laughs) but I like them both. And I like switching between the two of them. Okay. iPhone or Android? Absolutely, definitely, definitely, definitely Android and nothing but Android. So I am, I think I'm the opposite of other people. You will probably find a lot of Microsoft people who like Windows and yet they'll have an iPhone. I'm the opposite. I like Mac OS and I have a MacBook, as I just mentioned, but I will not have an iPhone. It is definitely Android. I find Android's more flexible and functional. I've always been Android. I've never owned an iPhone. There's lots of iPhones in my house, but I don't own them and I'm not supporting them. If somebody comes to me for iOS help, I'm saying, go to the neighbor. I'm not not talking about it. (laughs) All right. Fair enough. What is the best tool or app that you use on a daily basis? On the phone or the desktop? Anywhere. Anywhere. Okay. On the desktop, there are so many little apps, which I love. But if I had to pick one, it is a super hard decision, but I'm going to say Notepad++. I've been using that for ages, and I just love the functionality of it. There's a lot of cool things you can do with it, and I love all the syntax highlighting for different language support. It's awfully hard to pick one. Fair enough. Yes, it's it's intended to be a difficult question. Yeah, Simon, it's been a pleasure talking to you today. Where can people find you if they want to get in touch? You could reach out to me on Twitter. It's at Simon Payne, S-I-M-O-N-P-A-N-E, all one word. I don't tweet as much as I retweet, but I retweet on events that I'm going to or places that I'm going to be. You can follow me on the Pythian blog. If you just search for Pythian blog and my name, it'll bring you a link to all of my articles. But another thing I just mentioned there is when I was talking about Twitter is the places I'm going to be. I like it if people reach out to me in person. I often at conferences am approached by people who say, yeah, I heard you on this webcast. It's nice to meet you and stuff like that. So if you are interested and you are going to be at one of these Oracle conferences, I do try to attend and present at as many of them as I can per year throughout North America. If you see I'm going to be there, find me and reach out to me in person as well. Okay. Any conference events coming up? The next conference event I will be at is ODTUG, which is a developer-based user group, Oracle user group, and their K-Scope 17 conference, which is in San Antonio, Texas at the end of June. That's the only one I have officially on my radar, probably, but possibly Oracle Open World this year. Sorry, I misspoke there. Probably not Oracle Open World. I'm going to try to attend another conference in the UK in the wintertime. So both in the UK and in North America. Okay. We'll also include a link in the show notes to that conference that you'll be speaking at. Well, that's all the time we have for today, folks. The biggest compliment you can give us is by telling a friend where to find us or by writing a review on iTunes. What did you think about today's show? You can always send us feedback at datascapepodcast at gmail.com. Have a great day in the Datascape. Navigating the Datascape.